Well, good morning. So glad you're here. If you have your Bibles, we're in John chapter 21 today. And uh, so if you'd turn there, that'd be great. You know, uh, it's been really fun this year as we've, um, if you're new, we, we have been preaching through something we've read this week. As a church, we're reading through the Bible together. And I'd love for you to jump in with us because every Sunday we will study both in uh, small group and here in, the, in, in our worship uh, through a passage that we've read. And this, this, uh, yesterday we finished John 21. And, um, and the Gospel of John has been really cool to read. In fact, just a little foreshadowing, this year we have walked together through the Word Next year, in 2024, we're going to spend the entire year in the Gospel of John. And uh, like, like what was read today, First uh, John, we're going to walk with the Word next year. And so I'm, we've been kind of working on 2024, and I'm excited about that. But, um, but we're, we're looking today at the end of John chapter 21, so turn there. And let's think about, before we read the text today, let's think about the mindset of the disciples in John 21. Pretty fascinating to think about their, their mentality. Because uh, the disciples had, uh, they're gathered around Jesus after the resurrection. So, and it's not just Peter, James, and John and the 11, the uh, Joseph Arimathea is likely there. The, um, uh, it's possible Nicodemus is there. The women were, were likely there that uh, were at the tomb. And, and so, so here, here they are gathered with Jesus, and, it's, and, it's, and, it, and he had their attention, right? And, and if you were there, he would have your attention too, because they, think about the whiplash moment of, of the disciples here, because they had walked with the Lord through this incredible ministry, these miracles as they traveled. Jesus was was crazily popular, but then controversial. And, and then they walked through this time of Passover, which was a celebration, but then Jesus died. He was, they saw him arrested, and, and they're like, oh my goodness, and everything just falls apart right in front of their eyes. He, he was arrested, and, and they were there in that moment, and then, oh my goodness, he, he was beaten in front of them, and then he was crucified, and he died. But then he rose from the dead, and there he is. Oh, my goodness. I mean, uh, look, at, look at John 21, verse 1. Something very important to recognize in, in verse 1. Uh, after these things, now, now in my old NIV version, I like that a little better, but, but your version may say he revealed himself. Um, the old NIV says, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. So basically, Jesus showed up. He, he, he appeared before them. And after being at his funeral, that would get your attention. He showed up. And, and, and you know, when you, when you think about the, what the disciples had to be feeling there, this combination of shock and awe, right? They were shocked that can I really believe my eyes? There he is. In awe of, goodness gracious, this is the greatest miracle I've ever seen that he ever did. He rose from the dead. There was, there was a combination of, of faith and fear. I mean, they, they looked at Jesus and they go, okay, I believe you. I trust you. But, but yet, uh, oh my goodness, there's fear. There's a lot of powerful people that are really going to be ticked, 
right here because uh, there he is, and they killed him. There's this combination of confusion and clarity. They were confused about, well, what do we do now? What, what, what is it, what's the next step? And, and clarity, like, okay, he's God in the flesh. I'm listening. There's probably this confidence mixed with doubt. Like, I'm going to follow you. Following you is right. But this doubt of, um, God, I'm not sure how to listen to you. I'm not sure what to do. And, and with that in mind, let's, let's read verses 20 through 25. And, um, and, you know, we're in this series called The Return of the King. And so for the next six weeks, as we read the Bible, as we go through our Bible reading, I want us to pay attention to the many references that Jesus tells us that he's coming again, he's returning. So as we read verses 20 through 25, I want that to be in your mind about the return of the king. Let's stand together and let's read this. Verse 20, so Peter turned around and saw the disciple Jesus loved following them the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who is the one that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? If I want to remain and if I want him to remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. So this rumor spread to the brothers and sisters that the disciple would not die. Yet, Jesus did not tell him that he would not die. But if I want to remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if every one of them were written down, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. May we be seated. Now, now when, you, when you read through the Bible, one of the things you'll notice is that the first and the second coming of Christ has an important focus. Um, you know, we take the word of God seriously. And, and as, a, as, as people who believe the Bible, we understand that we're called not only to consider the, the second coming of Christ and the coming of Christ, but, but we're called to expect it. Just like all through the Old Testament, as they were considering both the, the, the first coming of Christ, they were called to consider that, and, and, and the prophets led them to do that. And, and we're, uh, we're similar as we look at the second coming of Christ we're called to consider it, but we're also to expect it. For example, on September 10th, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And every time we take the Lord's Supper, we, that, that act of worship itself call, calls us to consider the coming of Christ. Because you, you see in the, in the commandments around the Lord's Supper, the calling to take the Lord's Supper, that you're to do this, Jesus said, until I come. So, there's so many references in Scripture that he's going to return. We should consider it, but we should also expect it. We should expect the, the return of Christ. 
It could come at any day, the Bible leads us to recognize. And, and this is something we should expect. Now, now, as followers of Jesus, we're not the only ones that think about the end of the world. Um, you know, you've heard of the doomsday clock. There's a lot of people in, that don't know Jesus that think about the, the, the end of the world. And we live in the time in history when you actually have the capability of seeing some of those things come to pass with our Oppenheimer toys that we have. But, but, but you know what? When it comes to the end of the world, Christians have a unique spot. We, we have a unique understanding because we have this gift called the revelation of God. God has spoken about the end of the world. He's revealed some details about the end of the world that we just have come to recognize that those are true because we believe the Bible. And you know, when I was when we were in the Netherlands, uh, we had we had a we have some family there, and we love deeply, and and um, and several of them don't know Christ, and um, we had some really good gospel conversations with people we love that don't believe us, don't they don't they're not certain about the Bible, and one of my in one of these conversations, someone that's very dear to me said. Those convers- the, the thoughts about the end times make me nervous, scares me. And I get that because I'd say probably for most of us, when we, even as Christians, when we think about the end of the world, there's, there's fear that comes. There, there's some like, uh-oh moments that we have. But, uh, and it's because of the Matthew 24 list. Matthew 24, Jesus kind of laid out some some things that would take place at the end of the world and in the last days. And, and he said in that list, in Matthew 24, uh, as he's in the temple, he said, not one stone here will be left um, standing. So there's going to be some, some uh, physical evidence that the return of Christ is near. He, he says in Matthew 24, many will come in my name saying I'm the Christ and will mislead many. There are going to be many people that mislead others away from the Lord. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, Jesus said. But, but notice what he says. Jesus said, see to it that you're not frightened because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. Um, Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. He says in various places, there'll be earthquakes and famines. You know, the Bible speaks of these natural disasters that are going to take place around the uh, unique natural disasters. I don't know. There's a, you seen the weather today? Hmm. Hmm. Um, you know, you could argue, uh, oh, these things have always taken place. Yeah, okay, yeah, you could argue that. But, but we really have some capacities about end days that are revealed in Scripture that actually are kind of possible now. Like, it's interesting, it says about, Jesus says to his disciples, they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. You will be hated by all and all nations because of my name. It's interesting what's developing in our culture of more of an antagonistic posture against the name of Christ, against, I mean, um, God's people. It says, um, this is interesting, at that time many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. 
You know, Robin told me yesterday, there was a, when I was a youth minister, um, there was a band that we used a lot. And the leader of that band yesterday made a big post of deconstructing his beliefs. It's interesting, as you read the Bible, many, is gonna, many are going to fall away. Many false prophets will arise and mislead many. And it's interesting, Jesus said, because of lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. That's a fascinating insight into the climate of our world. And, and then it's interesting here, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Do you realize that we live in a generation that because of technology, we actually have the capability to communicate to the whole world all at once. Folks, this is why as a church, we're going to invest in those things, in technology and be a part of that. That's kind of the, the gospel opportunity that is in front of us as the end times develop. And so I want us to pay attention to, over the next six weeks, how, how Christ is speaking about his return. Now, to summarize kind of that idea, according to God's own promise, Jesus is going to personally and visibly uh, come to the earth. And, and in that moment, the dead will be raised and Christ will judge every human being in righteousness in mercy and justice. And, and here's what's clear about what the Bible says about the, the return of Christ. The, uh, the lost will, will literally enter hell, a place of eternal punishment. And, you know, there, uh, we can't skip over that in the Bible. Uh, I would be irresponsible as a as a pastor, to, to soften that. There's no way to soften that. There's no way to make that easier to swallow. Um, that if the lost are going to, hell is a real place, a reality. The, uh, but it also says that every person with a saving relationship with Christ will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Like, like that's important. That's important to recognize. That every follower of Christ will stand before his judgment seat and will receive either a reward or a rebuke, which is, that's, there's a little tension around that as a believer even. But then it's, we're going to see that it's going to be overwhelmingly gracious for us because we'll receive our resurrection bodies and, and we'll be, um, because of Christ and what he's done, we live in, in, in eternity, in heaven for, for, forever, for eternity. How do you even wrap your head around that? But I want us to look at verse 20 because it's interesting in this passage. It's not a normal passage you would look at when it comes to the second coming of Christ, but I think it really gives some interesting insight. Look at verse 20. So Peter turned around and saw the disciple Jesus loved following them. You know, the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who is the one that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he says to Jesus, I can imagine this little private conversation, Lord, what about him? And then Jesus looked at him and said, if I want him to remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. 
Now, I love this interaction. Like, like to me, it's a little bit of the chippiness of the disciples. And often they were, they were like, who's going to be the greatest in, in the kingdom? I think it was Matthew 18 that, that, that uh, uh, the disciples got in an argument about who's the greatest. And you can almost see Peter going, Lord, okay, you got my attention. You got my life here. You, 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 but, but, I, but what about him? I want to follow you. Um, what's he going to do that I'm not going to get to do? And, and I think there's an important lesson here. And I don't think Jesus was frustrated with that interaction. I, I think he probably liked it. I just think he needed to channel it. Uh, because here's the thing. You have an opportunity to follow Jesus during your lifetime. Peter had an opportunity to follow Jesus during his lifetime. He wasn't supposed to worry about John. And this chippiness here, you, you see that that Jesus channeled that passion as he helped Peter come to grips with his calling. You know something I pray you do? I pray you come to grips with your calling. One of my jobs is, as, the, as one of the pastors of your church is that, is that we help you come to grips with the calling God's put on your life. Yesterday, I got a really cool phone call. I got a phone call from a uh, young man that was my son's roommate in college, and he just graduated from UCO, and he's a, a smart young man with a, a, a love for accounting and finance, and, and he's passionate about going into the business world. And he called me yesterday because he's like, man, I, got, I need some help. I, 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 want, I feel like I can serve the Lord more effectively, and I, my church can serve the Lord more effectively in a certain area. How do we do that? And I thought to my, he go, and he said to me, he goes, you know what, Chris? I'm not called to do what you do. I'm called to use my gifts of finance and accounting to impact the kingdom of God, and I'm going to serve in my church. And I was like, dude, you get it. Well, and you know, that, that's an important lesson to recognize because not everybody of you, not every one of us in this room are called to what I do. But together, we're called to further the kingdom of God. And God has created businessmen that serve the Lord. I mean, Luke was a doctor. John wasn't very educated. Uh, Peter and John, Acts 4.13 says they were unschooled ordinary men. Um, so you have the disciples were various education levels, various professions. Paul was a tent maker. But, but you see all kinds of interesting people in the Bible as they followed the Lord. And what Jesus was channeling Peter is, hey, don't worry about John. You follow me. Follow me. And he was like, all right. And, and I think that uh, here's a lesson here. That I think Peter had to learn how Jesus had to channel Peter that, hey, hey uh, Peter, be grateful for the opportunities you have to serve the Lord. And I think we ought to be grateful for the ways we get to serve the Lord. We shouldn't look at somebody else and go, I wish I had that. I wish I did that thing. I wish I could do that. We're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? What race do you want me to run? And you're called to run a race. And I think what Jesus does masterfully here is he says, Peter, look, time is short. I'm going to return. You follow me. And I think that's an important lesson for us. Because sometimes I think we get a little jealous. And we need to pay attention to that. We also need to be grateful that other people serve the Lord in great ways. 
you know, sometimes we go, man, I want to have that kind of impact. I want to have that kind of impact. And, and, and can I just, this week, um, I spent some time with Harrison in the hospital talking about heaven. And um, we were just processing that. And I, we were talking about crowns in heaven. And, and I think there's going to be some crowns he gets in heaven. And, uh, and I, I th- we walked through some of those. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, I told him, and I'll tell you, I don't understand the full depth of those crowns. But when, when, uh, when we get to heaven and see someone with a crown, we're not going to be jealous. We're going to be like, awesome. That is awesome. Because heaven, we, our sin is, wrapped, is, is, is taken care of, and we're not, we don't have those motives anymore, and we don't have those selfish desires anymore. I think we're going to, in heaven, look at people and go, dude, that's awesome. But, but we recognize on this side of eternity, we're to lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy. And so I think there's a lesson here as, as Peter gets this kind of a channeling of Jesus saying, hey, Peter, follow me. Follow me. Can I ask you a question? Are you doing that? Can you look at your life And there's very clear evidence that you follow Jesus. Do you know what I think Jesus is saying to every one of us? Follow me. Let me say this again. Are you doing that? Alistair Begg is a pastor that I think is really interesting. He's got a cool accent. Um, but he's, when he looks at the Bible, he says, the plain things are the main things. And there's some plain things here. Look at verse 22. Jesus says, if I want him to remain until I come, What is that to you? And then I want you to notice the text here as it goes on. So this rumor spread to the brothers and sisters that this disciple would not die. Yet, Jesus did not tell him he would not die. But if I want him to remain, notice this, until I come, not if I come, until I come. What is that to you? And look what John says. This is the disciple who testifies to these things 
and he wrote them down. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if every one of them were written down, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. But on multiple occasions, Jesus clarifies, hey boys, ladies and gentlemen, I'm coming back. And just like I have manifested myself in this moment after my death, I will manifest myself again to the world. Now, here's, here's what we know about the Bible. God has clearly spoken about his return. Clearly spoken about his return. He's coming, folks. And, and um, you know, we see that, first of all, there's going to be a, phys- a sudden, personal, visible, and bodily return of Christ. This is something that he's spoken that's recognized that there, there will be a bodily a manifestation of Christ to the world. Matthew 24, 44 says, this is, what, this is why you are also to be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. John 14, 3, if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come and take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. Acts 1.11, they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you have seen him going into heaven. 1 Thessalonians 4.16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Folks, the Bible is very clear. He will manifest himself again. Now, there's a lot of debate on how that's going to happen, how that's going to shake out. We know that Christ will return. There's, we know about a tribulation that will come, and there's a lot of debate on where will Christ come in that tribulation in my life. All the leaders that have taught me and led me and challenged me and pushed me have always been a pre-tribulation rapture person, that, that people, that, God, that Christ will rescue the church prior to the tribulation. I love and deeply respect my leaders that have pushed me. I actually do not hold to that view. I have always historically, and we can argue about this and wrestle through this, and I've historically been a post-tribulation guy, and at the very least a mid-trib guy. But uh, we can wrestle through those things. But in spite of the, the humility that's required when it comes to a biblical understanding of the, of the coming of Christ, here's one thing that we all know, that every Christian is to be ready for the return of Christ. And I want to ask you a question. Are you ready? Are you ready? I pray that we are so ready that if the Lord reveals to us that he's coming next Thursday, that we don't change our schedule. Are you ready? In Revelation 22.20, John writes this, he who testifies these, about these things says, yes, I am coming soon, amen. And then John writes, come Lord Jesus, because as a Christian, this is our posture that's important, that we are expecting the return of Christ and we are looking forward to the return of Christ. And, and you know, I know that in this room, for all of us, we recognize that, 
and we feel the, a little bit of the anxiety that comes when you think about Christ returning. And I pray that we follow him, that we hear that message, follow him, that today you walk out of here certain that you are following him. You know, um, here's what's important. Like, you may be here today watching online or, or you're in the room and you're not a believer. And you may be like part of my family that just goes, ah, that, that brings me fear. Well, uh, um, I just want you to know that because you're here, because you're, you've joined us, whether it's a digital form or here in the room, I believe God is calling you to turn to Him and come to Him and be forgiven. And I'll be honest with you, I can't take away the fear of that. And I'll, there, there is some rightness to that fear. But, but can I tell you, we... Once you discover what Jesus does, you don't follow him out of fear. You follow him out of just absolutely amazement and gratitude. And I love what Titus 2, 11 through 13 says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, he says, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lust and live in, in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and you have the opportunity to, to know the glory of God and to know forgiveness and know the hope that Christ brings. And this is why it makes no sense for us to, uh, it makes perfect sense for us to, to live sensibly and live surrender to the Lord and live in the middle of God's will. And it makes sense for, for, Jesus, for Peter to respond to Jesus' words saying, Peter, follow me because I'm inviting you to this life of real impact, of real meaning, of real significance. And that's why I pray you follow him. Now we know that Jesus is going to return. Now there's one other thing, a couple other things we know, and I'll go quick, but, but you realize that when it comes to the second coming of Christ, no one knows when Christ will return. You're not going to know when. I'm not going to know when. Matthew 25, 13 challenges us and reveals to us that therefore be alert because you don't know either the day or the hour. And you know what's interesting is Christ describes the, the climate of the world when he returns that people will not expect it. Now, as Christians, we're not that way because we live with the constant reminder that Christ is coming. We live with this expectation of Christ is, that Christ is coming. But, but let me tell you, the world will not expect his coming. Now, my experience in Europe a couple weeks ago, I, I think was pivotal for me. I think it's pivotal for the church in America to recognize because you know the climate of Europe, and, and, and we don't like it in the United States because we think we lead the world, but actually we've historically been influenced by the culture of Europe. 
And that, that has been a continuous historic cycle. And, and you know, it's interesting, as you talk, about the, talk to the missionaries in Europe, it's a very dry place. And you'll talk to people and go, well, well here's what I believe about God in eternity. And do you know what you have in Europe as a growing number of people that are not sitting here going, well, well, here's what I believe. Because, you know, that's a, that's a sensible discussion. Well, let's compare what you passionately believe and here's what I passionately believe. But here's what's developing in Europe. Not a here's what I believe. It's an apathy of I, I really don't care. I don't care. I don't care what you believe. You shouldn't care what I believe. Just don't mess with me. Let's just leave each other alone. You know, when I read my Bible and I think about the second coming of Christ, folks, we live. We don't know the hour, but we can recognize the season. Folks, I want to I follow Spurgeon's example. I think he's the one that said this. If you're going to write a book about when Jesus returns, have enough sense to put the date after your death so you don't have to, like, so when it's wrong, you don't have to, like, tell everybody. You don't have to own it in person. We, no one's going to know the hour or the time, but let me tell you something. We can recognize the seasons, and we know the results of the judgment of Christ. And, and and here's the results of Christ's return. The, the, the results of Christ's return will be judgment for believers and judgment for unbelievers. Let's not miss the biblical revelation of this. As a follower of Christ, we will give an account for our lives. Don't miss that in the Scriptures, 2 Corinthians 5.10. What does it say? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be repaid for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. As a follower of Christ, we will stand before the judgment seat. We will give an account as you read the, the Scriptures, as you read the parables, as you understand what Jesus taught. It is very clear that he, he expects us, he calls us to follow him. And even in this moment with Peter, he says, Peter, follow me. John's going to follow me. You follow me too follow me. And so in this whole narrative, as John ends, you feel the responsibility, the calling for, for the disciples to follow the Lord. And this is why I pray that we, we do that. I, I pray that we are following the Lord, paying attention to where God has planted us, working the harvest field. And as I read my Bible and, and rub shoulders with Proverbs 10.5 and Matthew 9 and recognize the, the, the harvest field that is in front of us, I'm to pay attention that there are 375 apartments being built right next door to us and not look at that as an annoyance, but look at that as there's going to be people there that we're to know. So I look at our church, we're called to make room for people. Folks, you recognize that we are in a, one of the fat, God in his mercy and his wisdom has planted us in one of the fastest growing cities in, the, in, in Oklahoma. And people are moving here like crazy. And in churches that have the posture, I, I had a conversation yesterday 
with a staff member at another church who said they were attended a small group who said, we're big enough, we don't want any more people. Like they actually said that out loud. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't say that before you came to Christ? I think so. And so I I look at the recognition of 2 Corinthians 5.10, and we need to feel a responsibility to follow Jesus. The the, the judgment, when Christ returns, we will give an account. And this is why I pray we are faithful to think about the present and the future as we consider serving the Lord here. But, but let's recognize that when, the, when Christ returns, the ju- there'll be a judgment for believers which will be, be more gracious than you could ever imagine. It's going to shock you how amazingly gracious it is. You're going to want to build crowns, though. But I, but I can't. I also can't get away from the devastation of the, of the white throne judgment. Because Jesus very clearly says in Revelation 20, then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence and there was no place found for them. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. You see, the great thing about coming to Christ is His works overshadow your works. He covers your works. None of us want to, you don't want to stand before God on your works. You want to stand before God under the work of Christ. And the Bible is very clear about a sense of urgency that today's the day of salvation. And when it comes to the second coming of Christ, I'm not going to scare you, Joe. I'm going to ask you to come up. I'm not trying to scare you. Um, but if you're not a believer, there's a rightness in the fear. And I just want to say to you, whether you're online or in the room, today is the day of salvation. Today. Um, You do not want to stand in eternity, stand before the Lord, not having received the gift of forgiveness. And, and I cannot imagine an experience more devastating than to stand before God and remember a moment like this one when a 52-year-old, balding, somewhat chubby preacher stood in front of you and said, God loves you and he died for you. And you just stiff-armed it. I don't want you to have. I don't want you to do that. 
every tongue will, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. You know why? Because he's Lord. He died on a cross and he manifested himself. After he died, he rose from the grave. And then he very clearly said, so many times, I'm returning. And he's returning, folks. He's coming. Are you ready? You know, um, thankful that the Bible was written so that we can know that, that eternal life is real. You know, I'm, I'm still processing a moment in the last service. Um, we need to pray today uh, for one another. Um, in fact, we have a prayer team. I want you to go around the room. If you're in our prayer team, go around the room. There's going to be people around the room that would be willing to pray for you and with you. Nathan and Emily, come on up right here. Right to the front. And um, you may need prayer today. You come. Let us pray for you. You know, in the first service, um, Billy and Christy Richmond were sitting right here. And many of you don't know them. Some of you do, but their son passed away in a, as a result of a car wreck uh, years ago, several years ago. From a wreck and on his 16th birthday that he had. And then 17 months later, he, he went to be at the Lord. And I know he went to be at the Lord because... Harrison Mosby led him to Christ at False Creek. That's awesome. And, and Billy and Christy came up to me and said, hey, uh, from the time of, Her of, of Spencer's accident to the time of his death was 17 months. And... Um, And um, this is a real critical week for Harrison right now. Big, big week. We need to pray for him today. But Billy and Christy said to me, they came up here and they said, you know, this is just a reminder that God is with us in the midst of the difficulty. Because the end of August, from Harrison's diagnosis to this moment has been exactly 17 months. And it's just a reminder, God, you have a purpose in life. And I don't know if God's going to call him home right now or if God's going to do a miracle of healing. I just don't know. But here's what I know. We're going to sing this song that Joe's going to sing, and we're going to be a part of our invitation. And it's a hard song to sing, but it's a right song to sing. You are always good. And let me tell you something. God is faithful. God, 
was faithful. Do you know that last week a group of children's home kids, Oklahoma Baptist Children's Homes kids who come to our church were in a head-on collision coming back from Branson. The house parent came just in the first service, tears in his eyes going, we watched God protect us. He was 10 cars back from this accident. And God protected all. They, they all survived. Guy that was on meth, hit him, crossed me, hit him. God was faithful in that moment. Let me tell you something, God's faithful in the moment of rescue in this life, and God's faithful in moments of rescue to the next. Some of you need to come and pray for Harrison today. Some of you have needs that you need to see me come and pray for. Maybe you need someone to pray over you. Someone here needs to come to Jesus. Because let me tell you something, he's faithful in life and he's faithful in death. His promises are true in life. His promises are true in the life to come. And let me tell you something, there is a life to come, Jesus told us. Would you stand where you are? Lord Jesus, move us now. And we give you this time. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.